and welcome to Property Development Live. My name's Paul Merrick. Here on Property Development Live, we follow real developers as they carry out real developments. And this is a show I've been looking forward to for some time. When we get the opportunity to introduce you, our listeners, to these brand new developers taking on their first major projects of commercial to residential conversions and new build properties. Today you will meet Sonny, John and Andy and they will share the experience with you of what it's like to take on your first major project. We will talk to them a little bit about their history in property and we'll talk about what it's like to be involved with Property Development Live right here on the Property Development Live podcast. Let me introduce a former developer here on Property Development Live. Martin Davis. Let me introduce my co-host. Margaret Ann Merrick. So, Sunny, you're one of the other developers involved in the project. Can you tell us a little about your background in property? Got my first rent on property when I qualified as a pharmacist. So I, and then just bought another couple of like the lets, lived in them, fixed them up, rented them out, went to Asia and invested in some land in North India, just about best part of three quarters of an acre. What's currently kind of industrial area, uh, but we never did anything with it. Came back and yeah, I would say I've just really been serious over the last couple of years. So since I turned 30, um, I kind of became more professional about it. So what attracted you to this development? Uh, it was a few things. One was that it was the location. So, it you know, it's within maybe 45, 50 minutes of where I live. Uh, feasible geography. That was the first thing. The second thing was that... You know, as much due diligence as I could do on it, uh, it looked like there was enough margin in it. So even if we get everything bang on, we were still going to come away with something out the project. It was just a question of how much we were going to come with at the end of the day. So that was that's two reasons. The other one was someone like Paul was involved. So, you know, someone that's a lot more experienced than me uh, and, and a lot more experienced than anyone else I've come across. Um, where I lived in Newcastle before, I didn't really come across any more really seasoned developers, you know, so that, that was another big opportunity. And the last one was that there was there's, there's five units going up at the same time, so I had the economies of scale and bring the cost down, which I would just never get a chance to do on my own. What are the pros and cons of working with a larger team this time? Um, for me, it's, I guess, mainly pros, you know. It's like you said, there's um, there's a lot more input onto the site you know so there's different opinions uh people have got different experiences you know one of the the, the um john's building essentially the same plot and the same design unit as as i am so any issues that arise from the structural uh, perspective are going to be the same for both of us you know so and that had in that sense two heads are better than one and um you know, just sharing how we're putting stuff together, yeah, because it's like I said, it's new for all of us. In psychology, they call it, is it group think? A group effort, something like that, where basically the more people you have making a decision, the more likelihood there is of that decision being right. So, John, tell us about your history and property and what it's like working in a team. Okay, well, I guess I started in property 
It'll be approaching um, five years ago now. Um, I worked abroad for many years, um, came back, didn't really, to be honest, know what to do myself. I had a bit of money behind me. I always had an interest in property. So I figured I'd do some uh, renovation. I started off with a flat that I'd had rented out for almost 10 years. Uh, did that, sold it myself, and then kind of progressed on to bigger projects, all of them in, in Edinburgh, and projects that require quite a lot of uh, structural work. most recent project I've done um, has been the biggest one so far, which was a significant challenge for me. I think I, I bit off a bit more than I could chew with it. Sort of when I realised I needed to um, network more and find people who, you know, uh, were more experienced than, than I, I was to sort of get me to the, the next stage. I, I realised that I was really struggling. Why do you think you were struggling? Um, it's harder. It's lonely. Um, having, having, having a team working in a team it can be great fun. Um, you know, bouncing ideas off other people, you know, it's, sometimes you get stuck um, and you can't, you can't see the next step. Um, and other people can, can give you confidence as well. Andy, your first property experience was part of a team with your dad. How long have you been interested in property? I suppose I always had an interest in property. Um, we built a, a holiday house up near Aviemore uh, back when I was kind of 15. And it was one of those kit houses that you could move all the walls around inside. So I spent a lot of time with my dad, reconfiguring things, making things look how he thought, trying to make it, you know, think how people would use the different space. I just found all that very interesting from uh, from an early age. Then I went down the more conventional route uh, in terms of a career, a job at a bank and worked at that bank for a number of years. And then went through the inevitable career and life changes that happen now. There's, there'd probably been three or four rounds of redundancies before an opportunity came up for me to uh, to take that. And I kind of realised at that point, it, it wasn't really how good you were at your job. It was more just you were a number on a, on a spreadsheet when you didn't really work for yourself. And so that kind of set the seeds of me wanting to uh, try and do things more for myself and to have less dependency on others. Started the way a lot of other people do with the uh, looking for vitalettes, just to, I suppose, gradually have a, a bit of a sideline to start moving towards uh, a career in property. That started off, got a decent enough deal on a, a standard buy-to-let uh, in Glasgow, then moved towards uh, the more uh, refurbing approach uh, to try and get money back out again. So I suppose the first stage being get one that was a good cash flow, the second stage get one that needed a bit of work, try and get your money back out, get some good cash flow. Uh, and then it kind of stalled at that point and just really kept myself busy with property. Then became involved with my brother, I suppose I just tweaked my property strategy to what my current situation was rather than trying to think too far ahead. Ended up asking to come along to your development day just really to see what the opportunities might be there. And then you talked a little bit around commercial to residential conversions. And through the, the work that I'd done with previous conversions, through extensions we'd done in our houses, felt I was in a pretty strong position to try and do that on a commercial basis. And had the experience you know, not building from the ground up, but changing everything from within uh, from within a building. So I think that's how I've found myself at this at this place now. 
probably one one other piece uh, that's really helped me in this journey is through my years working in the banking industry. I did actually have an opportunity to bring my pension into a, a SaaS to allow t- me to use that to fund a significant portion of what I'm looking to do on this project. So it, it's really nice to be a, a little bit more self-funded to certainly get myself most of the way there with my own funds uh, before looking to uh, rely on anyone else uh, to get things over the line. And I think the SaaS part of it will be very interesting to some of our listeners. Most of the listeners have went down the traditional route of kind of going to commercial lenders and, and borrowing money for development from there. Maybe if you could spend a little bit of time explaining to the listeners the benefits and the disadvantages of using your own SaaS, I think that would be really useful. (laughs) Sure. I mean, this is the first time I've used my SaaS, so uh, I've gone through all the the trustee training to keep myself on the right side of HMRC, but there's an awful lot that you can do with a SaaS. So the the approach I'm looking to take is to actually lend uh, back half of my pot uh, to my development company. One of the main reasons for that uh, for me is to ensure we keep a a good amount of distance between anything that could be construed as a residential property and the the investment my SaaS is making. So my SaaS is making the investment in my development company as opposed to in a specific specific item. In terms of the benefits of SaaS, instead of paying interest that's going to a bank, uh, I'm paying interest to myself, which I can set at a any rate above the the commercial rate of interest. It's just a really good way of compounding uh, all the benefits that uh, money you would normally be paying away to somebody, some other third party. Uh, you're actually paying it back to yourself. And I think that's one of the things that, that people don't necessarily understand about using the SaaS to buy. So, so just to explain that you're not doing one of the new builds on the development, you're actually converting an yep. existing building, which is at the moment a commercial building, which means that you could purchase that with your SaaS. But what you've chose to do is even slightly cleverer than that, and that what you've done is you've lent the money to your development company, which is then going to buy the building. Correct. Yes, absolutely right. Again, it's, I, I've, I have a background in risk management, and for me, this is around just pr- protecting the, any risk there is against uh, my pension. Um, so that's the reason that I've decided to go down that road. Now, it's quite um, interesting, you know, the, the, the SaaS groups in, in and around the country and quite a lot of them are suggesting that you invest in other people's projects. But I think what you're doing is a lot safer because you're actually investing in your own project. And because of that, you have complete control of the project, its time scales, and how you can you can manage that project and manage the risk. Yeah, absolutely. And I think for me, the key thing is that I'm investing in myself if, if, if it doesn't work out, then I only have myself to blame. There's not, you're not sitting on the sidelines saying, oh, I wish I hadn't invested that. I hadn't done that due diligence correctly. For me, the, I don't need to do the due diligence on myself, uh, although obviously I do need to do it on the project. But for me, that was a, a key thing was um, just investing in myself. And I think seeing the interest come back to yourself. I mean, one of the big costs in, in development is paying interest to lenders. And what you're doing is paying interest to yourself that she's going to go back into your pension and make your pension pot even bigger. Yes, exactly that. And uh, I think another good thing about the flexibility of the SAS, as I say, you can you can set the rates uh, just above the commercial lending rates, uh, but then you can then further invest uh, lump sums back into the SAS again, tax-free. So that's the approach I've chosen. I've chosen to keep the... Um, the interest rate is low uh, as I'm allowed to make it, just to give me the flexibility to put as much back in as, as a lump sum at a later date. And I think that'll be very interesting for people. Was that one of the things on this particular development that drove you to look at the conversion rather than look at one of the new builds? No, no, I, 
I, I think that decision was much more around experience. Um, so for me, um, I'm actually looking to extend my my own property. Not quite at the same time, a little bit after uh, the, the work that we're looking to do uh, on site. So I'm going to be keeping a, a really close eye and just getting as much experience as I can from the guys that are doing the new builds, mainly around foundations, dwarf walls, getting the skins up, all that type of thing. Um, so I can look to uh, to bring that experience into my own my own uh, personal project that I've got here. But yeah, no, it was absolutely down to experience and uh, how successful I think I could be at it that I, took, that I wanted to go down the, the conversion route. So that you think this is going to be a double learning then? You're going to have the learning of doing a major conversion, which you'll be doing yourself, but because you're working along with, say, the other guys on this development site, which is part of the, the ethos of Property Development Live, is have a a cooperative, if you like, of people building houses together, you will learn from their experience as they're building new builds, which will give you more confidence to go on to do your extension and possibly one day to actually do a new build. Yes, absolutely that. Because it was a significant investment of my own money, it's, again, that risk angle in my head. I just wanted to make sure it would be a success. So, And again, it's the same for uh, any other future project. I think once I've sat down and watched, uh, watched the guys doing it side by side, then I'll be much more confident to do that, that uh, new build myself. So tell me about the benefits of this project. Probably in two, there's two different benefits for me. There's the, the learning benefit and then there's the financial return. So what I wanted to make sure was that I didn't lose money while I made the, while I brought on all this experience. In terms of the, the calculations that I've done, um, I've done a, a fairly standard uh, cost per, per square meter in terms of the conversion. Obviously, sale prices uh, it could be a little bit up in the air at the moment. Uh, but I think there will be a correlation between those build costs. Uh, if, if we do see the sales price going down, then I would imagine that the build costs will be going down as well. So I think there's a, there's a fairly healthy buffer uh, in there uh, for me not to get things right uh, and still to, to, uh, to come out of, with making some money and coming out with the vast amount of experience that I, that I hope to gain. Are you looking forward to being part of the team of developers? Oh, it's going to be fantastic. I think it's going to be uh, how those plans dovetail so how we can really benefit ourselves as much as possible uh, by bringing the um, trades on, on site that we can share across our, uh, across our different projects to try and bring our, uh, bring our costs down. Thank you, Andy, John and Sunny. It's been great to hear your experience in property and working in the Property Development Live team. But we can never forget we're in the middle of a pandemic. One person with us today will understand that more than most. Sunny, you're a pharmacist working on the front line. Tell us what it's like. Yeah, um, I've been, you know, I've been a pharmacist for about ten years and worked in pharmacies for about fifteen. Uh, never seen anything like it. Never, you know, no time of year. Um, nothing, nothing even close. Uh, to give you a snapshot, I was working last Saturday, just a half day in a place outside Edinburgh called Goldbridge, and I had to call the police. There was 30 methadone patients all waiting outside, all congregating, no social distance. There was a queue 30 people deep, so it's only one person in or two people in at a time. And there was a queue, I'd say, maybe covering half the high street. It was a two-hour wait to get in. And people waiting two hours, coming into pharmacies, medicines hadn't arrived because there were shortages. People were kicking off because obviously they waited two hours and they'd been in there earlier in the week. Um, lots of, you know, I said lots of methadone 
um, patients with opioid addictions and they're struggling to wait, you know, because they're rattling and then they're, you know, they're not hungry, they're pushing in front of the queue. It's just been chaos. Um, but it has quietened down now. I think initially the public perception wasn't that, that it wasn't a big deal and there wasn't much empathy for people working under those conditions. And also a lot of people are self-isolating. So the pharmacies are run with like 50% of the staff. Um, I don't know if you see, but some of the trusts in Wales, some of the NHS trusts, the testing's been implemented. have had 50% of the staff test positive. So obviously they've got to be in isolation. And now if the remainder test positive, then you're in a real serious situation. But the main thing was the public perception. That has now, people have been a lot more understanding. And only now, after maybe two or three weeks of government messages, uh, people are starting to be a bit more reasonable and not be so demanding. You know, it was um, it was pretty hellish for a little period there. Yeah, it was fascinating, Sonny, uh, listening to your, your experience uh, working on the front line in, in the pharmacy in, in Gore Bridge. And uh, I'm sure I speak for everyone else in, in saying, you know, um, we really, really appreciate um, yourself and others like you uh, working away uh, in difficult testing uh, circumstances uh, to ensure that people get the medication that they need in, in, in these difficult times. So thanks very much. Listening to you, Sunny, I'm just reflecting on the fact we live in this isolated cocoon. Nothing much has actually changed very much, apart from I can't go out so much. And you hear the sound bites uh, as far as the, the governments in terms of what you do, what you don't do. But just listening to you talking about the reality of being up at the sharp end makes me feel really quite sort of humble. Um, Congratulations. I think most of us in property are very privileged. I mean, I've been in lockdown with my family now for three weeks. Uh, um, I think John's in lockdown and, and Martin's in lockdown as well. So I, I just, on behalf of myself, Martin, John, and everyone else, like to thank guys like yourself who are still out there on the front line, you know, keeping society going while the rest of us are in lockdown and managing to stay away from the day-to-day -day risks of this virus. It's people like yourself that are, are that are still making society work. And I would just I would just like to say a big thank you on behalf of everyone listening to this podcast, to yourself, Sonny, for being at the front line and for all the other frontline workers as well. Thank you very much. I'd just like to say I thoroughly enjoyed this week's episode. It was great to hear from the developers themselves. And if you'd like to hear more from the developers, we have recorded full interviews with Sonny, John and Andy for our YouTube channel. And they'll be released very soon. So please join us again next week here on the podcast. In the meantime, join us on the Facebook group and join us on the YouTube. From me and from Property Development Live, thank you and see you next week. Bye.